Welcome to Gritty Leaders Podcast. Ian, hello. Hello. Hello, Ben. Good to be back here with you. It's, it's a little while since you and I did a, a, a head-to-head, and today, Building Strong Foundations, The Art of Knowing Your Scale-Up Team. Yeah, I, it is good, isn't it? Because we've done interview after interview, which has been fantastic, really enjoyable. And we've had some great guests on the show and we've got more great guests lined up. But actually, it's really nice to get back to where we started, which is a head to head on a subject we both feel is really important. Absolutely. Totally agree. Why is this one important, Ian? Why must we really know our people? And I guess by people, what we mean here, let's let's check because we could be at cross purposes. We're thinking of a, uh, a scale up leader and their top team in particular. Yeah, yeah, I think we both think that that's the place to focus on. I've said for years and not really explored it as deeply as I hope we will while staying to our timings today, that you cannot grow an organisation without growing your people. And I think that was the piece I wrote down first when I started to think about this podcast. And if you're going to grow your people, you need to know your people. Because you can't just treat everyone the same. You have to really get under the skin of the people around the team and start to get a feeling that these are all different. They all want different things. They all have different behaviours and beliefs. And we have to peel those away to begin to grow them. And so it is one of the most important things you can be doing as a leader. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it's also 2023. In fact, I know it's 2023. And it just doesn't cut it to not know your people. Leadership today, if you don't know your people, that's not likely to be accepted, particularly in a scale-up business where it's small, it's perfectly possible to know your people. And also it's demanding. And hey, it's demanding. So another of the basics is they need to be motivated. You know, people tend to be motivated once they feel valued as as individuals. This will cut across many of the podcasts we've done before. It cuts across motivation, as you just said. We talked about motivation before. How can you motivate people without knowing what they want, um, what their desires are, what their goals are, what their beliefs are, what their values are? Because you don't know what to say, who they are. And then it also cuts across, we did did a podcast uh, on lazy leadership. Mm, yeah, I thought of that. Yeah, and it kind of cuts across that as well because, of course, lazy leadership is, is not knowing your people at all and just coming in and asking fairly bland questions and hoping that a broad brush approach will motivate people and, and get to know them, and, it, and it, clearly it won't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So lazy leadership, that's a, a nice concept. It's your concept, lazy leadership, uh, that that you kept in mind as a leader. Is there one concept or one idea or one intention that you have in mind when it comes to this topic of of knowing your people? Well, I don't think there's one. I think this is multi-layered for me anyway. I think there's a lot of places you can go with this. If I was going to start, I'd start with trying to understand the individuals. So how do you understand the individuals? Well, I guess you start that through the recruitment process and then you start to build the trust and respect to open up the conversation. Uh, And I think you you can go to Lencioni. We did another podcast on Lencioni and the whole high performance team. We put him into that podcast so you can start with the vulnerability based trust. 
the values and beliefs and the aspirations, the growth mindset. I think I was talking to a chap this afternoon about growth mindset in his business and whether somebody that he worked with actually was growth mindset after a year of him being there. And we both concluded this person wasn't. And that was really hard. So I think having a growth mindset, you know, people want, do they want to grow? Do they want to change? Opening up that dialogue between you and that person. So I think there's a lot of places to go on this, a lot of tools we could talk about, a lot of concepts. Uh, I'll turn the question back on you, Ben. Is there one big thing here for you? Yeah, there is for me. Um, for, for exactly that reason, uh, this is so nuanced that I found I needed a simple way to keep this front and centre for myself. And for me, that idea is, or that intention is, is to stretch. And if I unpack that a little, you know, uh, we had earlier that uh, to be motivated psychologically, somebody needs to feel valued as, as an individual. And if we take that to another level, if we stop looking at our people as who they are, but rather as who they could be, you know, we're constantly seeing their potential and we're seeing who they could be and we're working with that. Well, that feels like uh, a massive vote of confidence. You know, when when you look at me and you see my potential, I feel that you believe in me. You know, and you're looking beyond my foibles, my uh, failings, whether I'm having a particularly good day or particularly bad day. You're seeing my potential, who I could be. Uh, and that really speaks to me. And, you know, and so that's in the area of of stretch. Um, so it requires me to be aware of who somebody could be. Really, for me, it was a question, how much stretch does this person need right now? Do they need more? Do they need less? What will stretch them? How do they like to be stretched? And these, for me, were all questions that I could only answer if I knew my person really well. Yes. Well, it brings to mind a simple model that I'm sure we've discussed on one or more podcasts, which is the GRIP model, which is um, educate, coach, challenge and trust. And by just understanding your people, you'll know where they are in that. So do I need to educate you more about the subject you're now dealing with or your area of expertise? Or, you know, if you look at anyone's job, they'll be really familiar with one part. They'll love it. They'll be great at it. Or the other parts where they're perhaps less familiar so there'll be the educate piece on elements of the job. Then there'll be the coach piece. Well, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to support you. I'm going to challenge you a bit. And then the challenge piece is actually on top of that. I mean, they go hand in hand, as we know, in the, in the coaching scenario. But the challenge piece is really going into your stretch piece. How much can we stretch this person on an aspect of what they're doing? That's very different, as we know. Some people, we they want to be stretched. There are absolute A players. We can really push them, and they'll push themselves. And they're, they're so valuable to our business. Other people, we push them at that level, they'll fall over quite quickly. And we have to be really careful we don't apply that level of stretch to everyone, which I think was the, one of the points you were making. Yeah, so, so on that, um, I use the, the talent map tool. Have you come across talent mapping? And and it's really easy to, to to Google. Google, do an image search because the image of the talent map is the useful bit. But I used to do this on the on the train uh, in between Farnborough 
and Waterloo, 35 minutes, 20 minutes by the time I'd finished my my coffee. And once a week, I'd, I'd get a page, I'd draw a talent map on it. And talent map is, is such a simple thing. Two axes, the vertical axes, potential, the horizontal axes, performance. And I would mark each of my key people on the map so I knew where they were right now. So I was reminded about how much potential I think they've got right now. And this, for me, was a you know a good frame for asking myself how much to, to stretch them. But it also brings in what you were describing, because, of course, anyone new to the organisation or new to the team, they come in at bottom left. Their performance isn't there yet because they're brand new, they're still finding their way. And their potential is also low because they they haven't got the basics uh, in place. That's everyone on on day one. So as they got further into the team or the organisation, they find their, their place. You know, and we get beyond that initial teach part. Uh, and then, but this is an important point, isn't it? We've got some people who will be in the middle of that map, reasonable potential, reasonable performance. They're really solid. They're our core players. And we need a number of those in the team. And we have some people that are top right, high performance, uh, high potential. They're our superstars. And I need both of them. So one of the things for me was don't try and turn all of my core players into superstars because then I've got a problem on my hand. Uh, and the other side of it is don't always go to my superstars because guess what? I'll burn them out. Yeah. Now, I think those are two really handy tools. And the thing that I reflected on without prejudging your response to my question, the four step tool I described would be something you'd create, you'd co-create. So you'd I'd sit down with one of my team and say, right, let's look at the, the different parts of your job. Let's take one of those parts where do you think you are on this? How well do you understand it in the educate piece? How much do you think we need to coach? I need to coach you or somebody needs to coach you on this area? How much do you think I can stretch you on this area at the moment and really challenge you? Or do you feel you're right at the trust where I can really loosen the grip? And that's a really interesting kind of emotional intelligence piece where them understanding where they are and us agreeing it can give permission, if you like, for me to push them more, to stretch them more, for them to go, yeah, I agree. Because I think the worst of some of these things is thinking, I think I know what you're like and I'm going to really push you. And then you find you're not like that at all. Um, So there is a part in there of really getting that feedback on, on what you believe so you're on the same page. Yeah, I totally agree. And I like the word you used, co- you know, to co-create. There's another way of doing that, which... I quite like maybe, you know, maybe there's style involved here uh, as well, isn't there? And preference, you know, and one of the points I'm sure we're going to get onto later is know yourself, because if you don't know how to know yourself, how are you going to know your know your people? Uh, but maybe my equivalent to that is is the high performance coaching approach, which is regularly with with any one of your people to have a really simple conversation, which is, you know, thinking about what's just happened or the week that's just passed or the significant event that's uh, that's just played out, what went well, what didn't go well, and why. Yeah, And that's the first third of the conversation. And stay in that territory for a while. What went well, what didn't go well, why? Let's really understand 
the reasons for that. And then the next question is, okay, so what's the learning? You know, what are you going to learn from that? What can we learn from, from that? And then the third is, so what do we change? What do we change for next time? And it's a simple reflective structure. And I think it does two things. It does what it says on the tin. It's high performance coaching. It, it takes somebody through the process of identifying their their high performance. But for you as a leader, if you're curious, you learn so much about what it is that stretches that person and what it isn't that stretches that that person. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I, I, absolutely. I think this is such an individual thing. And um, I remember running a workshop about a couple of months ago now, and I was talking about stretch and growth and going from comfort to stretch. And somebody said to me in the room, challenged me back, which is always good, and said to me, um, yeah, but Ian, not everyone wants to be stretched. And, uh, you know, the classic kind of pushback. And then we got into, of course, stretch for one person is completely different for another person. And I think the thing we have to be clear on is if we want the business to grow and we're starting from a few people and we're going to scale that up, most, most if not all of those people, and, 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 and that's a sort of a debate, have got to be growth mindset. And growth mindset means they've got to want to change and grow and adapt and build and learn and all those things as the business starts to grow. And therefore, they're going to be in that stretch zone at some point for some part of their, of their day. So as you said, it's discovering... And I think from that, you know, we generally like being stretched where we enjoy it. And I think, you know, uh, I can think of lots of things where I'm working really hard and I'm pushing myself and I'm enjoying it. And where I don't enjoy it, I'm probably not really going to want to stretch myself too far in that area. You know, I I completely agree with everything you're saying here. There's there's a couple of important bits in it. You know, that question, how much stretch does somebody need? is such an important question because there are times where the circumstance is simply challenging and it's already stretching them and they're already out of their comfort zone. The last thing they need is for me to come along and stretch them on on top of that. There's other times where actually they are more comfortable and there isn't a stretch and they do need something. Equally, how much stretch does, does this person need? What else is going on in their in their life? I know that when... Anna, my daughter, number three, was born. Uh, for quite a few weeks, she was stretching me at home, you know, and getting used to being outnumbered uh, as parents. That was pretty stretching. And I'm the dad. I got the easy job, right? Yeah, so we need to think about this as well. There's other reasons why somebody might have more and less capacity for, for, for stretch. I think capacity for stretch is a really good phrase there because that will vary, won't it? There's some external circumstances as well as an internal desire and motivation. And you have to understand the person really well to understand both. But we may not get uh, at first all the external pressures on people that they bring to work, which would tell them to not push themselves so much on something because or we might be having that conversation which says ah right I know what you're under outside of work I know some of these other things at play you've just had your third child you've got a new mortgage you've moved house 
I'm not going to push you too hard on this project because I don't want it to tip over and I'm going to look after you as well. And so that comes from really having that trust and respect and, and vulnerability and honest conversations and really knowing your people piece. And there's a simple piece here. We need to be talking to our people a lot. Just those those simple conversations uh, need to be fairly constant. Otherwise, we're not going to be tuned tuned into this. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, Ben. Now, one of the things I was going to touch on was assessments. And there's a whole bunch of them out there, as we know. Well, there's two I'm, I'm accredited in just because I like them and they're simple. And I find organisations like them. But there's a ton of them that I could easily be or you could easily be using. But I think they have a place. I've recently become accredited in DISC, but a particular flavour of DISC, Take Flight Learning, which is birds. Um, and those birds give people an understanding of um, their preferences. So are they more dominant? Are they more social? Are they more caring? Are they more analytical, uh, etc.? And I think the beauty of whether you're using DISC or StrengthFinder or Myers-Briggs or Belbin or any of the huge number of these tools out there is, again, they give us an opportunity to sit down with one of our team and say, look, and it's amazing, isn't it? It's a bit like the cosmopolitan survey that people used to do. You know, my God, that's exactly like me. How many times have I heard that when people get their profile back? That, how did they get, How did they do this? It is exactly who I am. And then you get that great conversation about, well, what does that say? What does that say about you? Is this, is this a challenge? It's saying it's a challenge for you. Is that a challenge for you? This is saying you're really good at this and you enjoy this piece. Is that something you really enjoy and you're good at? So I think it's a really nice way, which is quite an objective way, almost external way, which can shortcut some of these conversations and get something really quick that you can both start to discuss early on in, in when bringing a team together. Yeah, DISC is the one I'm accredited in uh, as well. And I've used or, or employed the others for me. Yeah, there's value in these. I think I tend to think of these as useful tools that a team can use. And it's good to do something every six months. It creates a backdrop of continually working to understand ourselves and each other. And I think the biggest value really is when the team does it together uh, as a joint exercise, side by side, being a bit vulnerable understanding a bit about ourselves, admitting we don't know ourselves quite as well as perhaps we we could, um, and being curious about about others. So I think it's good to have in the, the fabric of the team. It is that doing it as a team together, unlocking it, having a bit of fun. Oh, yes, I thought you were like that. Yes, I'm like this. It can really open up those conversations between the team members as well as between us and our team. And, and it just led me on and bring me back if I'm going too far off track here. But it led me to remember, so I recently ran a retreat for a group of people. And over dinner, we did something, I don't know if you've used, but it was a vulnerability exercise, a new one for me. And I tried it for the first time, recommended from a colleague I know, a six-word memoir. And it was it was stunning. And, you know, as Churchill said, if I had more time, I'd have written you a shorter letter. And it's exactly in that vein where you have to write six words that sum up you know, kind of your life in a sense. And then you have to explain it to people. 
And just that over dinner with 12 people around the table, a load of fun, but some really interesting stuff that people were prepared to put on the table. And of course, I went first being the leader of this group. And I hope role modeled the vulnerability, which is something that the leader has to do. And then people followed. And it was just wonderful to get another view of where people are, what makes them tick, how they've developed into the person they are today. Yeah, I love six word memoirs. And you know, there's plenty of things we do over private dining when we have a team off site. It involves vulnerability and acceptance. It builds a team really quick. And I guess in this context, what it does is, is it helps to establish and keep established what you were saying earlier, which is a growth, a growth mindset. It's important to have this in the and useful to have this in the fabric of the team. I was thinking earlier, though, yeah, we've got the sort of this general fabric and structure that helps us to know our people, and for them to know each other and for us to know ourselves. But we need to be specific, I think, if it it's a scale up company, we want to meet our our potential. We know it's going to be uh, demanding and we're ambitious. And I think for me, more than growth mindset, which would have been definitely found amongst the values of the company, more than that, in my team, one of my non-negotiables was was stretch. Just the idea that we'll always be mindful of how much stretch we have. Are we finding the right amount of stretch at the moment? Could we stretch a bit more? What would be a good stretch to do? It's a little bit more purposeful. And I guess in a scale-up company where we really need to drive our performance if we're going to meet our full potential. Yeah, and that performance uh, isn't necessarily in a work harder, shoot higher sort of a way. Could be, hey, we need to be more creative. That might be the stretch we need as a as a team. So my non-negotiable was we'll always be thinking about our stretch and we're going to understand our stretch as a team you know, intricately so that we are talking about where do we need our stretch, what type, uh, is it creativity, is it something else? Yeah, no, I completely agree. It reminds me what you're saying about what are, are people clear enough in working out for themselves what they're stretching towards. And I've had two sessions in the last month that come to mind where two of the people uh, in these uh, people I'm coaching's teams were focused very much on financial goals. There was not enough unlocking of, so what does that mean? Let's put that over there and let's say, what are you working towards? What is it going to look like for you in three years' time when you wake up? You know, I'm a big fan of that kind of forward-looking. And let's suppose you're, you're in this job now. You wake up in three years. You come into work. Now what does it look like? What are you doing? What does your job look like? I think this is so interesting because one of the most important questions I think I ask is, 
hey, tell me, what job would you like to be in or do you see yourself in two jobs from now? And it's similar territory in a way. The reason I asked it is if we're really going to meet our potential, we need to bring together somebody's passion uh, where they want to go with the passion of the team and where the team wants to go so that we are co-creating a great future in, in multiple ways. So if I ask, hey, tell me what job do you want to be in two jobs from now, then I can shape with that person uh, what's, you know, how can we approach the current challenges in a way that uh, is also helpful towards that goal of theirs. And then this counts for them in additional ways. And it's demanding, but because it's nourishing for them, that gives them more capability. And I think we've got to do this. It's a scale-up team. It's demanding. If we're not clever about it, everyone will burn out. Yeah. Uh, Oh, gosh, yes. It goes back to what you said earlier, doesn't it, about knowing the context for your people, knowing your people really well, knowing what else else is going up in their business. I I think also there is a sort of, you know, personality, character trait, call it what you will, where some people have to be watched a little bit. When you're very passionate about growing a business and the CEO or the MD can be can be that person as well, looking at them very closely and saying, when are you taking a break? Uh, what holidays have you got in? You know, making that, for, forcing that balanced conversation around the table as much as anything. Like we're not going to, we're not going to achieve our goals to achieve this scale up business if in six months time we're all done. So how do we do it? And have a life because what are we doing it for if it's not having a life you know whatever that means for all of us around the table yeah i totally agree we want everyone to be excited to arrive at work and we want them to be equally excited to go home to leave work at the at the end of the day that's that's important i think there's another piece here and as we were talking about talent map you pointed at the top right hand corner and those high performance high potential people uh the the superstars and we want one or two or three or four of them in our team of course we do however we want to keep them in the team and they're exactly the sort of character that if we don't continually with them find the right next challenge they'll go and find it somewhere else or they're superstars they're visible out there in the market somebody else will come and offer them that next challenge and we lose them. So it's another reason for these conversations you and I are, are are talking about in three years' time. How do you see this? How do you see yourself in it in this? Or you know, two jobs time, what would you love to be doing? Super important for those those superstars, high performance, high potential people. Yeah, we don't want to lose them, that's for sure, because they're really hard to find, uh, especially in the current job market. As as the leader of your top team you've got to identify them. They should stand out reasonably quickly to you, I would hope. And therefore, you've got to kind of have a plan to develop, stretch and keep them and and find out what they want to. But for those people, if you're a bigger business, identifying the next level down will be a conversation for that lead, for your leadership team. Who are our next level down stars that we need to be really focusing on to build up to come into this team in the future? And, and that's a, a, a conversation for that whole team to be having on a regular basis. 
Yeah, let's teach them the talent map. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> nice and simple. So I've got I've got one more concept I I, I used. I guess this is much. It's a bit like your six word six word story. It's very reflective. It goes quite deep, but it's completely different. Uh, maybe a good one to use across a series of two or three one to ones. How have we not mentioned one to ones until now? How have we not mentioned one to ones, Ian? Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna know your people, you've got to be doing your one to ones and listen to the one to one podcast. Because uh, if you're gonna do one thing, it's not anything else we've mentioned so far. It's have world class one to ones with each of your people regularly, and they are non negotiable. Yep, yep. <laughs> never, never, never drop them because something's so called more important. Totally agree. And having distracted myself with with that, back to back to where I was going, a conversation you can have across two, three, four one-to-ones. And this is about zone of incompetence, zone of competence, zone of expertise, zone of zone of genius. Have you come across this? No, but I, I, I know the concept. I, I basically I know the words you're mentioning there, and I can think of Lencioni on one hand. I can think of the the uh, the Matrix, which talks about conscious competence and unconscious uh, unconscious incompetence, and that one. So I think it's probably a combination of many things I'm talking about. But tell us about it, Ben, because it sounds really good. I, I think it's a really nice coming together with some of those ideas so that if you want to read the book uh the author is gay Hendricks, and the book is the big leap and zone of incompetence these are the tasks or activities that you're really not skilled at and it's counterproductive to work on them so for me diy i can set aside an entire weekend uh, and i can get a diy job done However, I've probably broken a ton of things uh, along the way, probably including my marriage. And a tradesman, a craftsman, would have done it in 45 minutes flat and produced a much better result. I was in my zone of of incompetence. So we need to stay out of zone of incompetence. But I think that's quite straightforward and people don't like being in their zone of incompetence. Uh, so they stay out of it. Zone of competence. This one is a... A real pitfall, I think. Yeah, zone of competence. Uh, the activities I can do pretty well, actually, um, but they don't bring out my best uh, or my highest potential or or, or my passion. Uh, and guess what? Other people can do it better. Yeah, and I, but it's comfortable, so I can fill my time uh, with these activities. But I'm not really bringing what I really could bring and my favorite example of of zone of competence uh, when I see an amazing PA in action and what I mean by an amazing PA he or she puts together an event and the right people are right are there and the location is amazing and all of the before stuff was done just right and people arrive already enthused and the day is organized and it runs and it sings and at the end of the day people are saying that was incredible I got so much value uh and this you know this this it feels unfair to call them a PA but quite often they're you know they're 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 a PA and I think it is such an important title actually 
Yeah, they've been almost invisible. They they fit in. Yeah, and this is the difference between a PA who manages diaries, does invitations, makes phone calls, these sorts of things, stuff that I could do, and that's where that's how I would do it. Or one who actually thinks about their role completely differently and thinks, how can I do this in a way that completely delivers the real potential uh, of the person I'm PA to or the event or activity I'm putting together? You know, and they see beyond. And what we've got there is if I was doing that, I'd be in my zone of competence. Uh, But if he or she is doing that, they're in their zone of genius. Yeah, and in between is a zone of expertise. You know, that PA, their expertise is organising, their expertise is relationships, their expertise is really understanding the intent behind something, then their genius is how they apply that in the business. So we've got our four zones. Um, Getting back to myself, my zone of competence was, was probably being a manager, a managing director. Even I was competent at that. At that, you know, I did a a reasonably good job at being a managing director. My expertise was was relationships, was one to ones, was connections. Uh, it was the idea that anyone that worked for us, they would make our dreams come true, and we would make their dreams come true, and we understood exactly what that meant. That was my expertise, that that piece right there. My zone of genius is not doing that inside a business as as managing director. It's coming outside and doing what I do now uh, and coaching uh, and enabling teams to become world-class at what they do. And it lights me up. And that's my zone of genius. And and this is a conversation. It takes three or four one-to-ones. You have to explain the concept. And then they get their incompetence quickly. Then they see their zone of competence. And then they get themselves out of it. And then they get their zone of expertise. And they start working. It takes a little while sometimes to get to genius. But if you can get to genius, and then if you can weave that together in the team, and where the team's going and where each of those people are going, then you can have a dream team. This is this is brilliant because it, uh, it made me think about what people like and often default to and what they love and get into flow doing. And when you know your people, you and they will discover if actually they're in the right job. Because t- to your point, just talking about your own reflections on yourself, you've realised where, thankfully where your zone of genius lies and where you get that, you know, the maximum flow for yourself when you're, when you're delivering something amazing, you're coaching people, et cetera, et cetera. And when we can help people to discover that we and they can be in a great position to go, do you know what? This isn't the right role for you in the organization. You should be moving seats over here and they can go, you're absolutely right because I'm doing this stuff and I'm okay at it and I'm competent at it. But what I really want to be doing is that. And unless you really get under the skin of people and they really are allowed to put that on the table, those things don't happen. Yeah. And boss, if you let me do that, this is where I can take us. And by the way, don't worry about who's going to who's going to fill my old spots. Uh, I know exactly who that is. Uh, give me three months and I will have them up to speed. In fact, they're going to be better than me because that's their zone of of expertise and, and genius. But yeah, if I, boss, if I can do if I can do this, 
that's really going to take us forward uh, as as a team. So here I think we've got you know how we go from a bunch of people to a team that's got some performance uh, to a dream team that is really special and can be world class. Well, I think we we could almost leave it there. What do you think for now, Ben? Well, I reckon we probably probably could. Is there any more bits on your list that we should cover? Just one. I don't know whether I touched upon it uh, along the way or not. You'll tell me in a moment. It's one of the basics, I think, or that maybe there's two basics. Um, yeah, as you said, co-create. Um, we can keep this really simple. We can just ask our people. You know, tell me about yourself. Tell me what it takes. Tell me where you want to go. Tell me what's working, what's not working. We just ask super simple questions. So we can just ask our people. We don't need some of these uh, sometimes clever ideas. And and the other one is know yourself. Do the inner work yourself. Yeah, and let people see that you're doing the inner work yourself. But do the inner work and get to know yourself, and you'll be better at being able to get to know other people. Yeah, and I think for some people, the know yourself starts early-ish. That emotional intelligence piece, as we know, doesn't really hit home until most people are in their 30s and really starting to look at understanding who we are and accepting, I think, as you've just done in a very vulnerable way. When I was MD, I was competent at this, but actually my genius lay over there. And I think getting people to have those discussions is really interesting and some people get it very early I think the only thing I'll add on top of that slightly different is understanding your people but also understand as I've done with my twin daughters who are 21 now the generational piece the intergenerational piece you know uh, there is a big difference between gen z's gen y's millennials alphas now you know, uh, baby boomers, even silent generation, which are probably not working in our organizations anymore, but they've still got a lot to add. But understanding why they are as they are is hugely important as well as a bit of context for our people. Yeah. And and this is why this is all non-negotiable, because today, if you don't know your people, you'll be rejected as as a leader. Lots of the silent generation, however, real sense of of duty, real sense of the organisation and I will arrive and I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability and they wouldn't share that much else uh, and they might not want you to to really uh, know them. But today, that's no longer true. No, I've enjoyed it. It's um, It's been fun and it, isn't it so important what we're talking about and I hope there's been some great pieces in there uh, there's been a few models. There's been a lot of deep thinking, hopefully. And people will take a couple of things out and go and uh, put them to work in their businesses. Absolutely. And tell us about it. I think maybe there's another pod that we mentioned along the way here around non-negotiables. The idea of non-negotiables uh, in a business. Maybe both the non-negotiables that a scale-up leader has for themselves and the non-negotiables they've got for their for their team great subject let's do it all right i'll see you there okay cheers man bye cheers Ian.